Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's class. Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning to study. Um, God, thank you that in life, uh, when we encounter various things, we don't have to face them alone. You are with us. Uh, You give us guidance as to how we should think about those things, how we should respond to those those trials. Um, God, I do ask that you would teach us this morning, draw our hearts to you. Father, I pray that as we leave here this morning, we would be challenged in how we would face life and how we would face various trials. Um, God, we ask these things for the name and the sake of Jesus, uh, that we might bring him glory. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. So, first thing I want you to think about, nothing, I'm going to toss you a softball right from the beginning, okay? What is the one thing that when you think about, you fear above everything else. Uh, maybe another way to put it is, what is one thing that if you think about it, you think that might have the ability to make me forget about God, turn my back on God? What is that one thing for you that is scary above all else? Okay? So I want you to take a few moments. You can see that's the thought question that's right at the top of the of the worksheet. If you did not get a chance to get a worksheet, does anybody need one? I'll be happy to grab you one. They're right over here on this. Hey, Noah, will you grab? Uh, Noah will get. Oh, he can get. He's young. <laughs> if anybody didn't get one, just raise your hand. Noah will we'll give, give that to you. But take just a moment and uh, think about that, and then we'll come back. To that question here at the end of our time together. Okay, so we are going to start in and of all places uh, the Gospels. You think, well, wait a minute, I thought we were studying the book of James. Uh, there is a parable that Jesus told, just happens to be one of my favorite parables. Uh, but I want us to think about this parable because uh, I think it's instructive to what James is talking about. The the particular parable comes in Matthew chapter 13, and it's what we often call the parable of the sower. Um, What Jesus is talking about is a farmer who goes out to sow seed, and he would have had a a bag or something that would have been on his side, and uh, the ground would have been somewhat prepared, and he is broadcasting seed. That is, he's just dipping his hand into the bag, and he's just scattering it. And the seed is going everywhere. And Jesus makes the point, this would, this would have been a very common practice in Jesus' day. He makes the point that as the farmer goes about doing this, the seed gets scattered on a multiple kinds of places. Um, he talks about uh, the last kind of uh, soil that the seed falls on is what he calls good soil. And he said it, it you know, grows up and it produces 30, 60, 90 fold. It, it, it does what it's supposed to. Um, he talks about seed that falls on the path. So the place where the farmer walks back and forth, okay? 
it gets worn down and after a while, you've seen this, what happens when you walk on dirt after a while? It gets like concrete. And so you drop the seed on there and it just lays there. It doesn't matter how much it rains on it. The birds come along, they pick the seed up and they eat it and it's gone. So those are the first two that Jesus talks about. But then he talks about two others. And I want us to focus our our time and attention on that. He talks about the rocky soil. And then he talks about the thorny soil or among the thorns. So the rocky soil is kind of like, you know, southwestern Missouri soil. Uh, It's not like Iowa soil, you know, where you have that six foot, eight foot soil profile. It's you got a little bit of dirt on top and then you hit rock. Anybody have a yard like that? (laughs) And You can tell it. It stops raining in the summertime. It turns brown just like that. Um, You know, part of my yard is that way. And then I've got part uh, that stays pretty green. So this rocky soil that Jesus is talking about, he said the seed drops on there. And he said it immediately springs to life because there's water there. There's moisture there. The seed germinates and it starts to grow. But what happens? The sun comes out. And think about this. The sun is a plant's friend, right? It's the thing that the plant is harvesting to make energy and food. And so the sun comes out and the wind comes out. And because the plant has no root, it withers and dies. It's scorched. So that's the first um, issue that Jesus talks about is is the the rocky soil. And the second one is the seed that falls among the thorns. And so part of the scattering, it kind of goes over to the edge of the field where there's weeds growing. And in this case, it's thorns and thorns are very competitive. And Jesus says the thorns choke out the seed so that it cannot do what it's intended to do. So in these parables, then, um, Jesus is comparing the kingdom of God and its announcement to the farmer that scatters the seed. It's. It's a broad call. Anybody that will come, anybody that wants forgiveness, it is available to you. So this this gospel proclamation is broad, but Jesus says it's going to come in contact with people who are different, right? Some are hard and stony, and some are among the thorns, and some are good ground, and some are on the path. Now, here's the question. What does the rocky ground represent? And what does the ground that is among the thorns or the thorny ground represent? What do you think? Let's take the rocky ground. That ground that has a layer of soil and rock underneath. What what is Jesus driving at here? What is he telling us? about the condition of our hearts or us as people when he talks about the, the rocky ground? I've always thought of it as being the foundation isn't there. It's not firm. It's not solid. It, um, that, I mean, that's kind of what I've thought in my mind, that, that foundation of our faith, our trust in the Lord. We're not anchored in a solid way. Okay. Okay. Um, perhaps uh, maybe a way to, to say that is we lack root. 
that, you know, Jesus says this in the parable, that this plant withers and dies because it has no root. It has no consistency, no longevity, no, a word that we're going to run into today, to today, perseverance to survive the storm, the trial, the, in this case, the scorching wind and, and the scorching sun. Yeah, so what, what I think um, James is going to pick up on on this, on this parable, he's going to say these are the people that are duplicitous in their mind. They believe in God, but they wonder if maybe there's another way. They believe in God, but they think, well, I don't know that he has all the answers. Uh, they are the unstable, dual-minded man that James is going to talk about because they do not have the firm conviction that God's truth is the only truth and it can be relied upon even in the face of tremendous opposition. Okay? Yes. Yeah. They're basically saying, as long as I got my get-out-of-jail-free card or get-out-of-hell-free card, I'm good. Okay? Sure, yep, just making sure I restarted that. Um, okay, how about the ground that is among the thorns? What, what does this indicate? That's the worry, the worry and the distractions of the world. I mean, I guess it's not all worry. It's mm-hmm. anything that distracts us that's even more pleasurable than the, the discipline, self-discipline of following Christ. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, as a matter of fact, it could be something not perceived as bad. It could be wealth. Or the pursuant of wealth. It could be uh, difficulty. Um, it could be um, worry, distractions, you know, paying bills, those kinds of things. But it can also be good things. It could be people. Could be people. Proverbs. Um, four friends corrupt good morals. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, the people that we surround ourselves with. Walking Okay. Okay. So we walk. It's, I think we're fence walkers sometimes when we're messing with the thistles, you know. Okay. These people are okay, but maybe they're not okay. Yeah. You know? Or I play this role on Monday through Friday, and I play this role on Sunday. Yeah. Kind of Let's think about it in terms of this. In with the rocky ground, where does the external? Uh, I just gave it. Where does the pressure come from? It's external, right? It's the sun, it's the wind. With the, the, the thorny ground, it's internal. It's those things that, in James, he's going to say, come from within. I'm not going to tell you that James is retelling Jesus' parable of the sower, but I think, remember, James is the half-brother of Jesus, and I think oftentimes James thinks about his failures and he is drawn back to the teachings of Jesus. And I think in this sense, he has in mind this mindset of what Jesus is talking about 
in the parable of the sower when we get to James chapter 1. As a matter of fact, I think he's going to talk about, in in verses uh, 2 through 12, he's going to talk about the external things that we face. And then he's going to go on to talk about the internal things that we face. So let's jump jump in. James chapter 1, verse 2. So we, uh, we went through the introduction, last, the, the first verse. Uh, he says in verse 2, and I'm going to read through and then I'll come back and make comments. And he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, for the sun, uh, <clears throat> because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, and its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now, the first comment I want to make about this is when we read that, we read as Westerners, it sounds very choppy and broken, doesn't it? It sounds like James is talking about at least three things. He's talking about trials, when you encounter trials. Then he's talking about wisdom. Where do you go find wisdom? And then it sounds like he's talking about the rich and the poor, right? Does anybody else see it that way? Because I would tell you 95% of the sermons that have been preached and and lessons that are taught do that. We break this into three individual sections. And I think we do it a great disservice when we do that. Because I think James is talking about one central concept here. This is the Easter month. Remember last week we talked about this. It's very Jewish in nature. It it takes a very broad concept and and throws a lot of different things at it, but it's all focused on the central core issue. And the central core issue here is who are you going to trust? Who are you going to rely on? Who has the understanding of the way that the world works? Do you believe that God understands the way that the world works and therefore, because of that, he can be trusted? Or are you going to worry about those individual things? And so the first thing that James starts off with is trials. Remember, who is James' audience? Who is James writing to? You just have to look at verse 1, it tells you. The Jews who have been scattered because of the persecution, the, the dispersion. And so they are encountering things that they've never encountered before in their life. They're in a unique place, not home. They've lost their job. They've lost their fortunes. They've lost their friends. They're attending a new synagogue. People are pressing on them. And so James comes along and he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. If you're anything like me, when I read this, uh, especially as a young believer, I thought, James is an idiot. <laughs> you know, he, do, he doesn't know anything. Come on. Well, 
as uh, God has matured me in my old age, I think I understand James knows a lot better than I do in what he's talking about here. Uh, this word consider, do you remember when Mark was, uh, prayer, uh, I can't remember who else was teaching, through the book of Revelation, and they kept talking about bossy words. Remember that concept, the bossy words, these commands. Uh, it's what we call the aorist imperative tense of a verb. Consider it. You got to do this. Uh, the word consider here means to reckon or to think about uh, the fact that it is joyful when you encounter various trials. Hmm. Why would I consider it a joy or something that is wonderful when I encounter trials? Okay. Yeah. So certainly uh, we're going to consider the outcome. James is going to talk about that. Let's just talk about it on a more global scale. When, when salmon come in from the ocean and they begin to swim upstream, that can't be easy, can it? I mean, hundreds of miles they swim to go to their, the place where they were born to lay their eggs. When, when you're going against the stream, it's not easy. It's difficult. The world system is the stream. It's going counterproductive to the way that Christianity wants to go, right? We want to become the servant of all. We want to love. We want to show God's justice. So we're going against the grain of the system. Why is that a good thing? It means we're going the right way, right? And so James says, consider it joy, just like Jesus did. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He knew that there was an ultimate prize that lie on the other side of this life. So James says, consider it joy, my brothers, when you face trials, when you face these things that come into your life. It's interesting, James uh, uses a tense of the verb here that indicates they are going to keep coming. It's going to be constant you're going to face them throughout your entire life. What did Jesus tell his disciples? In this life, you will have a rosy path, right? You'll have no problems. You'll have trouble. This life will not be easy. So James says, consider it pure joy when you face many trials because you know. Circle that in your Bible. What James is saying here. We rest on the truth that we know, not the reality that is in front of us at the moment. It may be hurtful. It may be difficult. It may cause us to question ourselves. But we cannot question the Creator in this. Because we know, what do we know? We know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. As our faith is tested and we come through on the other side, all of a sudden we are stronger for the next test, right? By clinging to God in that moment, it teaches us to cling to Him in every moment. James uh, says here, the testing of our faith. Uh, so James uses 
the noun, to describe what we are doing in this life, in this Christian life. So what is faith? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a believer, a follower of God? What, what are we participating in here? Faith is submission to the truth. That's my definition, and you will hear it every class that I teach. You will hear it, and I will ingrain it in, uh, uh, into you. So what is the truth? Well, if you're attending the class uh, that Mark and Michael are teaching on, in, on Genesis, the truth starts with who the very nature of God is. Who is God? Who created God? Nobody did, did they? As a matter of fact, when God was challenged by Moses, and, and he's there at the burning bush, and, and God is telling Moses, go, go tell Pharaoh all these things. And he's like, well, okay, but who do I t- say is the one that's speaking to me out of this burning bush? And he says, you tell him, I am. What God calls himself in that moment is highly instructive. I am. He is the self-existent one. He needs Nothing. Absolutely nothing. How about you? Where did you come from? Well, I came from my mom and dad. <laughs> we are created, aren't we? We are creatures. Okay? So God's the creator. We are creatures. So what right do we have to tell the creator how things ought to be? We have no right, do we? Not only that, the Creator is good, right? He's benevolent. He's gracious. So can we trust Him that His plan will ultimately bring us to the place that we want to get to, which is where? His side. Can we trust Him? So our faith may be challenged as these difficulties come into our life. But what do we know? We know the Creator. We know the self-existed One. We know He is gracious. We know He is loving. And we know that His plans are ultimately good, right? And that's what James is saying here. You can consider it joy not because it's a pleasure, That's not what James is saying. James isn't saying be happy about the fact that people are treating you like garbage. That's not what James is saying. James is saying consider it joy because you know what the truth is. And the truth is God will ultimately bring you to the place where whatever is happening in this moment won't matter. It won't even be a thought a blip on the radar screen, right? Again, I go back to Jesus, book of Hebrews. The joy that was set before him is what enabled him to endure the cross. And that's, in essence, what James is saying. That seems to be the hard part, too. Is I, I, I think you can, at least to me, I, can, I, can, I have the big picture in mind, and I can trust God for that. But in the moment, I'm still mad at him. Yeah. Yeah. So I missed that, I guess, that bigger lesson of, okay, I want you to trust with me and not get all bent out of shape. Yeah. It's kind of like, okay, I trust you, Lord, but this is nonsense. You shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. You know, yeah. But trying to get to that count of joy level yes. is really tough. Excellent point. That, that it is hard. And, and in reality, that's why we need each other, right? Mm-hmm. 
I mean, seriously. So, you know, Kathy and I have had quite a bit of conversations about this with um, what she's doing with the one and other ministries. And in reality, that is the whole point of the church, to come alongside somebody that is struggling. Uh, Paul says it differently. Paul says, bear one another's burdens. Come alongside and be alongside uh, and say, hey, yeah, this is hard, but we'll get through it together. Um, Okay, so uh, we have this uh, opening shot across the bow by James where he really sets the table as to what at least the first chapter is going to be about. That if we say we believe in God, we have to believe in God even when life stinks. Even in those moments when the stream that is coming against us is painful and difficult and, and that system is against us, this life system. That's what these trials are that James is talking about. They're, notice they're not things that are coming from us. You know, it's not us who is doing it. It's other people, and it's the evil world system. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What's the one true test that we are true believers? Have you ever heard the saying that the answer to the question is always in the question? What's the one true test that we are true believers, that we keep believing? It's what James is saying. Perseverance in belief in faith, we don't give up on God. We don't give up on trusting Him. We keep believing. We keep trusting. We keep coming to Him. And what do we do when it doesn't make sense? What do we do when, like Jerry said, what's happening in life doesn't make sense? James says, oh, that's easy. You go ask the one who is the Creator, who has the divine perspective How does this fit? How does it work? Notice the next section. James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, what is wisdom? Knowledge and understanding. Okay. I would would even lean more toward the understanding part than just knowledge. Okay. We can have a lot of facts, but putting them together really understand. Okay, knowledge and understanding. Sally, did you say something? Somebody said something. Well, for me, I think wisdom is set apart from knowledge. I think you're right. Yep. Yep. So I can know that the sun is shining outside, right? How does the sun shine? But that's not wisdom. I think it is. And here's why. Because only the Creator understands how the sun shines. He's the one that lit it in the first place. See, I think, I would define, you know, we typically define wisdom as a divine perspective. I think it's divine knowledge, really. It's that idea that God's understanding is limitless. God, you know, here's, here's our perspective, right? We're down here. What's God's perspective? 
God is above and beyond. He is not bound by time or space or anything else. He sees eternity just like that from beginning to end. And so wisdom is the way that God thinks about everything. And so James says, if you lack that, if you lack that divine perspective that sees the book of Genesis the same way that it sees the book of Revelation, that, that sees timelessness, that sees purpose and pain, if you, if you lack that, ask. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks... He must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Oof. That's pretty harsh. Remember when I said the rocky soil is kind of like the duplicitous man. He's, He's sitting there pondering, saying, life's hard. I can do it the Christian way. I can love. I can forgive. I can love my enemies. But man, that's hard. There's this other way over here that says I can get even. Right? Uh, And so James is saying, when you ask for wisdom, you can't be sitting there saying, if I don't like the answer I get, I might choose another one. Right? Right? You know, you go to the doctor and you, and you got the sniffles or whatever and, you, and the doctor says, or better yet, you go to the doctor, you, you're having headaches and chest pains and, you know, you want the doctor to give you a pill and he says, what you need to do is lose weight and exercise. From personal experience. And, and he, you don't like that, that answer. I want the pill, right? That's easier. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. If you pay more money, you'll get the answer you want. So that's what, in essence, what James is saying. You cannot come to God and say, I want your perspective, but if I don't like it, I'm going to reject it. Don't think in that moment that you're going to get my perspective. Um, sometimes we say, hey, it's, it's okay to doubt. It's okay to have questions. We need to be careful with that. It is okay to, to say, I don't understand. That's not the same as doubting. We have to be convinced that God is who he said he is. And we are who we know we are. And that is the truth. And we're basing our lives on it. We have to be very careful. Again, sometimes I think the the issue is in the semantics or the way we say things. But doubts is a very serious thing. Uh, You know, doubting Thomas. That's what we call him. That wasn't his name. Thomas didn't really doubt. He said, I just want to see the evidence. Uh, I want to see the nail prints. I want to see his side. You know, you guys tell me he's resurrected. I just, I just can't see how that could be because dead men don't rise from the dead. I think you guys are just full of wishful thinking. Thomas, once he saw the evidence, did he doubt? No. He fell on the ground and he said, my Lord and my God. And then went on to live uh, a life of faith. And, and that's, that's what uh, I think James is saying here. We have to guard against that 
duplicitous mindset that says, if I don't like the biblical answer, if I don't like the gospel answer, if I don't like the the perspective of God, then I'm going to seek another way. There is a danger in that. sometimes we have to also use that. We can ask for wisdom, but sometimes God's perspective is not a perspective we can understand. Yeah. And we may sometimes just have to rely on that his grace is going to be sufficient of an answer for us. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that isn't the wisdom that God wants us to seek anyway. If, if that point itself isn't the wisdom that James is talking about here. If we lack wisdom in understanding that concept, if we just, we need to understand that God's grace is sufficient. Because I know all of us have experienced things in life where we're not going to understand God's perspective until we're in eternity. So let, let's, let's pause here for a moment and think about this because part of the divine perspective is this world is not our home right we are aliens sojourners foreigners these are all words that the epistle writers use to talk about it and we are longing for our home aren't we what is our home it's at the side of god in in eternity so in some cases the wisdom or the perspective of god is it's not going to happen in this life. Uh, I went to Southwest Kansas this week. Met a guy last. Got to think about this. I think it was October. Last October, I was in Dodge City for the Three Eye Farm Show, and there was a guy two booths down from me. He, we had a mutual friend, and he was a customer of ours. And so we were talking. His name's Cleet. Uh, two months after that, uh, Cleet was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, uh, and I went back. Um, you know, just this past week, I was talking to Jay, my friend there, and he's like, oh, Mike, you know, we lost Cleet. Ten months after I met him, he's gone. And, of course, we're, you know, having a highly spiritual conversation here in the Combine, and, and uh, we were just talking about, you know, he had young children and how hard that is. And, and Jay said, but Mike, he's healed now. That's wisdom. That's a divine perspective. Is it hard for his family, his children? Absolutely. There's no denying that. And so his children and his wife are now going through the various trials. They're trying to find joy in that. For him, striving has ceased. He is whole. That's wisdom and divine perspective. So sometimes... It may not be the answer we want, but it is still the truth. Okay? Okay. Then we have this second, um, what seems to be oddball thing that James shares that doesn't seem to fit. Uh, Verse 9, the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position. What? Are you kidding me? James says, if you're destitute and poor, just walk out, pat yourself on the back, because 
you know, you have such a high position, it's amazing. And if you're rich, you ought to just, you know, hang your head because it's all over for you. What is James talking about? I think what James is talking about here is the difference between an earthly perspective and a wise or divine perspective. From an, we look at it from an earthly perspective, right? We see the poor, poor guy and we think, oh boy, that's tough for him. He doesn't have food, shelter, anything. We see the rich guy and he's fat and happy and we think, he's great. It's not how God looks at it. James says, you know, the person who is poor should take pride in their high position. Why? Because they are loved by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The creator of the universe has looked down upon them and has seen them, their plight, and has loved them and has given them a hope and a future. And that is a high position. I'm sure that is part of it, the, uh, the continual trust. But I think what James is really getting at here is just this. When we understand that in reality we are all poor in God's eyes in comparison, it doesn't matter what we have in this life, we're poor. And so from that standpoint, we should all revel in our high position because we have been loved by him and and the rich person you know James is really speaking to the Jewish mindset here who would look at a rich person and they automatically assumed if you were wealthy you you were blessed by God and if you were poor you were cursed by God and James is destroying that conventional wisdom saying nah you got it wrong the poor are loved by me and the rich are going to wither and fail under the persecution of trials. Um, Notice what he says, and notice how similar the language is here to the parable of the uh, sower. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the plant. That is almost a direct quotation from Matthew chapter 13. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. The simple truth is, at some point, it doesn't matter what we're doing in this life. This life will be over. Then what? That is the entire point of James chapter 1, 2 through 12. What happens when this life ends? We all have to face the judge, right? And the high position, but God's looking at everybody's position, and we're really all here. The poor people think they're here, the rich people think mm-hmm. they're here, but we're all right here. So yep. the rich person's looking, should look down at the place that they really are, and the poor person should look up at the yes. place that they really are, and that value of God. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, to understand our true value in the eyes of God. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Me, it's like when in the Old Testament, when 
when God would tell Gideon or anyone, you do this, it was impossible. Mm -hmm. I mean, what the human yeah. saw. But God could pull it off. Yes. Because, and it, it, to me, it's, God, I just have to trust you. Yeah. Because it sure doesn't look possible to me. Yep. But I know if I'm doing your will, desires of my heart will be complete to, mm -hmm. by you, mm -hmm. not by me. I'm not in charge. Yeah. He is. Yeah. And the Ebenezer Stone I just mm -hmm. read about, too, it, that was the whole thing. God said, don't be afraid because I'm in charge. You remember, I'm in charge, and I will never leave you. Yeah. And to me, that is what I cling to. Yeah. I yeah. have to. Yeah. Because I've gone through things in my life, as everybody does, that it, it just doesn't seem possible mm -hmm. that it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. But it is. Yeah. And, and that is precisely James' message here in this passage, is that we should expect that in life, because you got to understand, the system is stacked against us. We are living in the enemy's territory here. The system that the world operates on is 180 degrees out of phase with God's system. And so it will be hard. It will cause problems. There will be trials. Keep going. Remain. Trust. Because there is a prize in the end for the one who endures, the one who perseveres. What is the prize? Verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to him, to, excuse me, to those who love him. See, this brings clarity to the entire section that we've been talking about. And you see, when you get to verse 12, you can see how it all fits together. That it isn't three individual ideas that James is talking about. It is one overarching theme about continuing in trial. Why? Because we trust in the Creator. We trust in the God who has loved us. We trust in the God who has provided the way for us to be with Him. It is that simple confidence that God, in, through Jesus Christ, is enough. He is enough. Uh, now, that doesn't mean along the way, that there aren't going to be difficulties. And James says, when you encounter those, allow, notice what he says, joy to flow. What is joy? Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is, one of them is joy. You allow the Spirit to bear fruit in your life because of what you know, what you have trusted in, Jesus Christ and what he will ultimately bring about. So this, uh, for us, this week, James is talking about those external pressures that we face. Those external things that come from us that essentially come from the world system. It's the stream. We're swimming upstream like salmon, and, and, and we're encountering these things, and they're going to be difficult. Next week, James is going to talk about the thorns, the stuff that comes from within us that is a challenge to us being reliant upon God. Okay? Any final thoughts, questions, comments?
Yeah. Figure out, hey, to do this, I'll do this, you know. And instead of trying to find the joy in what it is that he asked for me to do, you know, it's like, hey, if you'll do this, I'll do that for you. If you'll do this, I'll do that. So yeah. it, this is kind of eye-opening that I really need to go through these to, mm-hmm. to find out what I really am supposed to find out. Yeah. You know? so instead of taking the cheap way out, yeah. endure it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I, I can't say this enough. Understand that we are not fashioned to go through these things alone. I mean, whether it's with our spouse, with our small groups, our life groups, just people around us, that is why God gives us one another, is to be able to call out and say, you know what, I'm having a hard time right now, you know, because I, in my friend or this guy that I met, Cleet, you know, in his family's case, we just lost our dad and our husband. We need people to surround us, to come alongside and to, and to, to help us. Absolutely. You don't have to go through it alone. Uh, you know, James doesn't really talk about that here, but we're not going through that alone. So the, the kind of the summary of all of this, the, the conclusion, I think James is instructing his readers, first of all, that life is going to be difficult. There will be things that are unfair and hurtful. However, the prize of life eternal with God outweighs the momentary afflictions relative to eternity that we will face. So keep walking. Keep moving. Uh, I, I was dumbfounded this week, and, and at one time I had a list, and I don't know what I did with my list. But uh, I listened to the message in my car when I'm driving, which is uh, serious radio Christian. And I, I was up to like 27 songs uh, that in some way have the theme of, you know, just, just keep moving, keep trusting. Um, a couple of my favorites, Hillary Scott, um, which I didn't know who she was until this week. Apparently she's like in the, the group Lady Antebellum, but her family has a music group and she has a song called Thy Will. I encourage you, listen to the song Thy Will by Hilary Scott. Um, if you don't like that kind of music, uh, Toby Mac has one called Move, Keep Walking. It's not my style of music, but it's a little bit more upbeat. Same, same idea. Uh, again, the point is there are multiple uh, Things that encourage us along the line of what James is talking about. Okay, at the, at the beginning, I asked you a question, and that question was, what do you fear the most? What is that one thing uh, that would, make, would rock you to the very core and cause you to, to question your beliefs? The final question we need to ask is, how much will you fear this thing that you wrote down? When you bow down before the throne of God. See, that's the perspective we need to have that is in play here. When, when, when I am kneeling before the throne of God, will I even think about what this thing is that right now seems so momentous to me? That is the perspective that James wants us to have so that when we do encounter trials, they become smaller. Okay? All right, strap in and get ready because I I guarantee you we're all going to face life this week, right? So let me pray for us as we encounter life this week. God, um, thank you for James' teaching on this subject. Uh, Father, I pray that this week as we encounter difficulties that, um, that we would trust you, that we would trust in your character, 
in your person, the things we know to be true about you, that you are loving and kind and gracious. God, that you don't allow things to come into our life simply for the purpose of punishing us. But God, you want to make us stronger. You want to refine us. You want us to trust you more. Father, I pray that you will seal this knowledge in our hearts and in our minds so that when the moments creep in that we we are tempted to doubt that you do care for us, we will be reminded of of the person of Jesus Christ, the, the greatest example of love towards us. Father, help us to trust you in the moments of crisis, in the moments of trial. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.